I had a thought that I'd like us to look at uh, just for a few minutes tonight, uh, looking at several passages of Scripture as we go along. Um, of course, you recognize that we live in a day of stress, a day of uh, stress pressing down on us, really, and there's a lot of anxiety around. Uh, there's too much to do, uh, too little time to do it, and we just are, are on edge quite a bit. And then the opposite of of course is true, and I'd like to try this out, but I hear people say I have nothing to do, uh, and I'm not accountable to anyone. I'd like to try that out sometime, but, um, uh, you know, sometimes when we have too much uh, time on our hands and we're not forced to do the things we're supposed to do, uh, that can add stress to your life. So we want to talk a little bit about anxiety and uh, what God's Word says about it. And I'd like to title this, if, if we're going to title anything, you will either live a word-filled life or you will lead a stress-filled life. There'll be no in-between. What I've kind of gleaned this from is from a magazine that I get, um, a Christian magazine. It's called The Voice. It's from the Independent Fundamental Churches of America, IFCA. Um, it says that we need to be transformed, not conformed transformed by the renewing of a mind not conformed to the world. Unfortunately, that organization as a whole um, chose the latter. They, they went astray. They're different than they used to be. I, at one time, belonged to the IFCA, the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. I was right on the edge of trying to get this church to join in when things started showing up on the horizon that showed that they were, they were really capitulating uh, so they could get more members and less truth. But what we want to look at tonight, just for a few minutes, is a word-filled life or a worried-filled life. Let's look at a couple of verses, please. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. You know these verses very well. We'll just kind of springboard from these passages. Luke chapter 8. This, of course, is the sower and the seed, the parable of the sower and seed, which you're very familiar with. One passage I'd like to glean out of this and then move on is verse, uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, talking about the word of God. The seed sown, of course, is the word of God. But look at verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they who, when they have heard, essentially the word of God, go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no forth fruit, rather, unto perfection. When they have heard, they are choked out with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Keep that in mind, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 10 for a moment. Luke chapter 10. This, of course, is a well-known story of Martha and Mary as Jesus visited their home. Uh, Lazarus, of course, this is... Uh, his home as well, or he, his sister's home at least. And remember, Martha is uh, very, very busy, very anxious here. We see that in uh, verse 40, Martha is cumbered about with much serving. There's so much to do feeding all these men that Jesus has brought in. Who knows who else came with him? Uh, and she, she accuses the Lord of not caring about her. And you see that in verse 40. She says, bid my sister that she come and help me. And Jesus' answer is a remarkably shocking answer. Jesus answered and said, 
unto her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But then he makes the statement, but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? She chose to hear the word. We will either live a worried-filled life or a word-filled life. We have a choice. Each one of us does. And I'd like to go through some passages of Scripture together if we can, just to see what a word-filled life will do in opposition to a worried-filled life. So let's look at, if we could, please, a few passages of Scripture. Uh, turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. A word-filled life, in 1 Peter chapter 1, a word-filled life is necessary for spiritual nourishment. Without a word-filled life, you will not have the spiritual nourishment you need and I need to be able to deal with the present-day circumstances. So we need a word-filled life that will give us nourishment in the present world. Of course, it was in past worlds as well, but in our present world as uh, specifically. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 18. For as, you, as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of, uh, of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but is manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that our faith and hope might be in God, seeing that you have purified your souls and by obeying the truth, the essentially the word of God, through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, intently or fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is like the flower of grass. The grass, grass withers, and it, the flower falleth away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Therefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it. The word of God is necessary for spiritual nourishment. Without spiritual nourishment, the cares of this world just press on us. The cares of our life just simply press on us. Peter told Timothy something very similar to this. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I know that these are not passages that you're unfamiliar with. You know these passages. I'm just trying to bring back your pure mind by way of remembrance. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 6 for a moment, please. Remember, Paul is warning that in the latter days, uh, some shall depart from the faith, in verse 1. There'll be people speaking lies and hypocrisies. Uh, pick it up in verse 6. If you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine unto which thou hast attained. Nourished up, built up 
in the words of faith. The word of God nourishes our soul in such a way that it, 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 it fills your life with knowing him and knowing who God is and his purposes that the worries of this life vanish, pale into insignificance. So you'll either live a word-filled life or you will live an a anxious life, a worried-filled life. I need to be nourished with the word of God daily. I need to have a word-filled life for the light in direction, so God can give me light for direction. If I do not have God's light of direction in my life, I will lead a worried life, not knowing what to do, where to go, how to do it, when to do it, etc. God's word wants me to make sure that I am looking at him for a direction. I'll either lead a word-filled life or a worried-filled life having no direction where, whereby to go. There's a couple of Old Testament passages you know very well, but let's look at them anyway. The 119th Psalm for a moment. The 119th Psalm. King David writing, of course, in the 105th passage of the 119th Psalm. He says this, a, a, a passage that you know oh so well, but look at the 105th passage. He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is. And when I don't know what to do, God's word leads me in the path, a direction. It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Look also at the 138th Psalm for a moment and verse 7 of the 138th Psalm. Notice, though I walk in the midst of trouble, Thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. God will give me direction, even though I'm walking in times of trouble. And some of the trouble could be my own trouble. I caused it. But God's word will redirect my steps, redirect my, my, uh, my direction. Why? Because his word fills that need in the life of every single Christian. I need a word-filled life to protect me from the philosophers of the world. God's word is a, is a screen, a mesh. It's a filter for the things of this world. And folks, you can't help but hear the stuff that people are saying. And they're saying such ridiculous stuff. And at first it sounds like, well, wait a minute, that might be biblical even. It's not. It's coming from the mouths of fools. The world gives forth its own wisdom, and God's word will direct us away from that, away from the world's wisdom and the world's system, the philosophies of this world. Look with me, if you could, please, to Colossians chapter 2. You're very familiar with this. I'll either lead a word-filled life or I'll fall trapped to the people of the world. Colossians chapter 2. You know, of course, verse 8. With, in verse 7, we're supposed to be rooted and built up in him. Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding with thanksgiving. Back into the word, Paul says. Remember, you've been taught this. This is the word of God. You need to learn this and you need to be built in him, rooted in him. Verse 8 is where we uh, want to camp for a moment. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments, the ABCs of the world, and not after Christ. 
If we're not careful, if we, we don't have a, a word-centered theology, if we don't have a word-filled life, we fall prey to the philosophies of men. And we want to be sure we stay far from that. The Lord Jesus mentioned this. Turn with me, please, to Gospel of John, chapter 6. In Gospel of John, chapter 6, look at verse 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This isn't men's words. This isn't men's philosophy. This is the word of God. It's the word of God that gives life. And God wants us to make sure that we're focused on his word. Why? Because if we, we are on that, the worries and cares of this world, the philosophies of this world, will just simply vanish away from our thinking. But we're under constant attack from the philosophies of life. One more passage on that. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. The world has something to say that I'm not interested in. I don't care about even. I need to make sure that I'm focused on what God says. Yes, that's what they say, but here's what he says. And what he says has life to it. What they say is in the realm of death. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. You know, of course, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience. Don't let anyone deceive you with their vanity, their, their philosophy of life. Make sure you're focused on God's word. A word-filled life gives us an assurance in desperate times. I think we're living in desperate times. Some people, you know, well, it's nothing compared to when I was a kid, you know, and all this stuff. I don't know that. I don't know that. But to me, times look desperate, do they not? doesn't seem as if anyone's in control of anything. I was shocked Friday. The uh, stock market went down 390 points. Why? Because of something going on in China. Hello? These are desperate times. We, we don't know what's going to crash our economy. We don't know what's going to come next, depending upon what nation of the world does what. We have no idea, but yet God wants me to know I can have assurance in him. I can rely upon him. So that word needs to fill my life, fill my thinking. I need to be continually seeing what he has to say, lest the desperate times that we live in draw me away from him. Let's look at a passage, please. Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 4. The apostle says, For whatever things were written in earlier times, this would be Old Testament theology, Old Testament writings, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So this gives me assurance in desperate times. Here's how God dealt with Israel. Here's how God dealt with the sinning people. Here's how God uh, used his people in his word. Here's what God did. This gives me assurance knowing that God's sovereign. God, and no matter what happens, he's always on top of everything. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, letting the church at Corinth know that they need to trust God. They need to believe God. The church at Corinth was a terrible, terrible mess. Think of the worst church you can possibly think of, and Corinth was times 10. Uh, it was just filled with all kinds of problems, and Paul was constantly warning them, sending his disciples there time and time again. But we see in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 8, we are troubled on every side. Yet not distressed, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Why is that, Paul? Why? 
Notice, if you would, please, in uh, picking it up in verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. See, it's the word of God that brought Paul in. Yes, there's problems, but God's sovereign. He's in control. You'll either live a word-filled life or you'll lead a worried-filled life. There's no in-between, folks. You're either going to believe God's word or you will run into constant worry. We need a word-filled life to cleanse our thinking, to cleanse your thinking every day. Don't, do you, don't you wish you could somehow take your brain out and scrub the thing every once in a while? Things from 50 years ago every once in a while pop up. Where did that come from? How could that be still in there? You see something that reminds you of something that all of a sudden up comes something in your mind and you think, what do I do here? Because you bring it to the Lord. But recognize God's word will cleanse our thinking. Uh, the word is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful thing. So we need to uh, recognize that God's word is the resource for scrubbing this mind. For just scrubbing it. Look with me to the book of Ephesians Chapter 5, we need our minds scrubbed. We need it scrubbed from the stuff that comes in it every day. Many of the things that we see on the news, that we see in commercials, that used to be spotted as pornography. And it's coming into our house. And you know what? doesn't bother us. doesn't bother us. We need a scrubbing. We need a scrubbing. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. This, of course, whole section of Ephesians chapter 5 is dealing with husbands and wives and, and uh, the type of church mentioned about marriage. But one passage I want to pick it up in is chapter 5, and you're very, I'm sorry, uh, in chapter 5. Yeah, let's look, if you could please, in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify, set it apart, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God. God wants to cleanse our minds. How? It's by the word. When we're, we're, we're looking at God's word, it will, it will cleanse the thought processes of your heart. Uh, God will remind you of passages of Scripture when things uh, come into your thinking. That's not right thinking. It's wrong thinking. Let's look at another passage here, if we could. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, these are well-known passages to you, but I want us to see we're either going to lead a word-filled life or we'll have a worried-filled life. These things will just constantly keep us off guard, off balance. And Satan wants to do that. We're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 10. Look at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the word of God will cleanse your mind. It will cleanse that mind. That's why I need to 
continually keep God's mind before my thinking. What, this, what is this casting down imaginations? They're fleshly thoughts of gratification. That's all they are. Just fleshly thoughts of gratification in one way or another. Yeah, I, I, aren't you amazed? Uh, uh, the other day, my wife and I were driving somewhere, and we saw a billboard about alcoholism. It's a disease you need to overcome. No, it isn't. It's fleshly gratification. That's what it is. Well, well you say, well, he's dependent upon alcohol. That's because he's trained his body to be that way. Think about, uh, they're sick. It's a disease. They're, 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 they're involved with uh, rape. That's because they have a disease, you see. Everything's a disease. Why? Because the world does not want to say, listen, that's fleshly gratification, and you're accountable for everything you've done. The world doesn't want to do that. No, no. See, But God's word will show us, won't it? God's word shows us. That's not um, a disease. It's fleshly gratification, and you are accountable before God with it. And each one of us, God's word just cleanses our thinking so that we're no longer in that realm of thinking. Uh, you know, of course, um, there is a sin, the book of Hebrews tells us, that does so, so easily beset us, trip us up. There are, there are sins out there that just, if you're not careful, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall over them. Turn with me to James chapter 1. Very, you're very familiar with this passage, but in, in James chapter 1, James lets us know that you know, things that come into our life and, and we fall prey to them. We think, well, God has done this. Why has God done this to me? Uh, I, I fell into sin. Why did God do that? Well, uh, James lets us know, well, wait a minute. Time out. You need to recognize what's going on here. In James chapter 1, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted. The term here is to entice. It's like to uh, bait a hook. Let no man say when he is tempted or enticed. I, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. God does not offer the invitation to sin. He never does. How, then what's going on? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. A fantasy of the word lust here, the lust of the flesh, it begins with an evil mind, doesn't it? The lusts of the flesh begin with an evil mind. Terrible to think about, but absolutely true. Garbage in, garbage out. Out it goes. We need, to, we need to battle that. It's a battle. How do I fight these things? Word-filled life or sin-filled life? Word-filled, it's our choice. Every one of us has uh, that choice. Of course, back in James chapter 1, look at verse 21. Just imagine, this is the, the first of the New Testament epistles written. And James says this, Wherefore, put away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Save it unto eternal life, but to save your soul from the daily experiences of life. Receive with meekness that engrafted word, that word of God that's able to build us up. So we'll, it, God's word can cleanse our thinking. God's word can give us God's enablement. It's, it's, a, uh, it's weapons that are needed in warfare. 
Guy Angel used to come here. Ma many of you remember Brother Guy Angel, little short guy, wonderful guy, loved the Lord with all his heart. He was telling me that when he was, he was in World War II, he landed, I believe it was, in Normandy um, in World War II, and he was a Jeep driver, and Jeep drivers had a World War II gun, and every fifth bullet was a tracer. You know what that is? When you shoot, the fifth bullet goes out, and it's like a light going out. Zing! Out goes a light, and you can see where your bullets are going. And he told me that there was a... German plane. It had been hit by ground fire and it was coming in. It was coming in rather slow, uh, but it was low to the ground. And he started shooting at that German plane with his uh, Browning automatic machine gun. And he was firing, he said, and he was aiming right at the plane as he was firing. And he could see the, every fifth bullet, it was going way behind the plane. He said it looked like the plane was almost stopping, yet it was, as he was shooting, uh, he was going way, way behind the plane. And he said he learned later on that you need to lead the plane if you want the bullets to strike. Now, why did I say all that? Well, first of all, it was so interesting to me. <clears throat> but secondly, God gives you a defense for what's coming, not for what is. God gives you a defense for what's coming. God knows how to lead. God knows what you need in your thinking because tomorrow that person's going to approach you. Tomorrow, that thing's going to happen. And God wants you filling your heart with his word so that when it happens, you're way ahead of time. You're not behind the, the ark. You're ahead of the plane. So when the plane comes, you can take the plane. Why? Because you're already armed. You're already ahead. You've already fired, see, of, with God's word. Let's look at a couple of passages, please. You know them, again, very, very well. Ephesians chapter 6. What does God want from me? Well, I'll either lead a word-filled life, which gives me an enablement, or it'll be a worry-filled life with everything that comes in. The enablement, of course, is the Word of God. In Ephesians, we're in chapter 6, and this is, of course, that sword of the Spirit. We're to be armed. And what are we to arm with? Well, it's the Lord's power in verse 10. We're to put on the whole armor of God in verse 11. Skip down now, if you would, please, to verses 16 and 17. Above all, taking the shield, literally, of the faith, the shield of the faith, with which we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So God wants us to armed, ready, prepared for whatever battle it is. And I need to have the weapons on me and the armor on me, what, for the battle. It's too late once the arrow sinks. It's too late. You've got to get ready ahead of time to fight the battle. Listen, if you get wounded... Being involved with the wrong things. Or if you get wounded being in the wrong place with the wrong people, it's not God's fault, it's yours. It's your fault. Oh, why did the Lord allow me this to happen to me? Well, you should have got out of there. You shouldn't be with those people. You shouldn't be there doing those things. That's why you're wounded. It's not God's fault. He told you not to. And you did it anyway. 
God wants us armed with the, 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 the armor of God. Why? Because the wicked one's going to be firing darts. And be sure, he's a pretty good shot. He's a pretty good shot. We need to be careful. We need to be careful, the wicked one, as he fires these evil thoughts, as he fires these, uh, these, these evil circumstances. And by the way, they don't, they don't always have to be evil, right? It could be a, 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 it could be a, a good thing. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to consider that. When really God's word said, no, don't consider that. Don't think about that. Don't go there. Don't be involved with that. It's contrary to what he says. And yet we need to recognize we need the weapons to defeat him. We need to be sharp. And what's some of the sharpness? Well, James tells us in James chapter 4, what's some of the sharpness I need? Well, the devil, he's on the move. He wants to make sure that he's keeping me out of balance with God's word. I'm not reading God's word the way I should, perhaps, or I'm not letting God's word dwell in me richly, perhaps. I've allowed the cares of this world to pull me aside. I'm anxious, I'm worried about many things, and the devil's going to use all that to trip me up. We're in James chapter 4. Look at verses 7 and 8, please. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how am I, oh, I'm to humble myself? Why? Because God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. The worst words a Christian can use is, I can handle this. No, you can't. You're going to fall flat on your face. And you know what? God's going to be sure to get you down there. Why? Because all our need is to rely upon him in every circumstance. I can't handle this, but God can. God can handle this, and I need to turn that over to him. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 5 for a moment. 1 Peter, next book over, chapter 5. I will either lead a word-filled life and have God's enablement or a worry-filled life will allow Satan to occupy my thinking. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 6 for a moment if we could, please. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You don't puff yourself up. Let him do the work in your life. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he, he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Satan will try to provoke, try to... Uh, Direct us away from the things of God. Resist, the, uh, resist steadfast in the faith, and God will direct our paths. Very, very important. 2 Peter chapter 3, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 3, a warning to the Christians. In 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before... How did they know them? Well, God's word directed. The writers of the New Testament epistles directed. They, they know these things. They know what they ought to do. 
Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Their philosophies can draw you in, but a, a word-filled mind will stop that. You can, you've, if you're trying to stand in your own strength, a word-filled mind will give you direction. Look, if you would, please, at verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So him be glory both now and forever. Grow. How do we grow? You'll either grow or you go backwards. How? In grace, in the grace of God's word. A word-filled life will give us discernment with the questionable things in life. There's a lot of questionable things, are there not? Is it okay to? Should I? Is it wrong to? Would this, would this be a problem for me? God's word gives us answers or discernment with the questionable things of life. Just a couple quick passages. Head with me to Hebrews chapter, 15, chapter 5, please. Hebrews chapter 5. God wants us to know what he has to say, so when the questionable things of life come up, I will know what to do. We're in Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verse 14. Solid food belongs to them that are of full age. Mature. Mature in the word. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. God's word will exercise my senses and I'll know that this is a questionable thing and this is not right for me to get involved with. It could be a harmless thing. But I know that if I get involved with it, it will pull me down. I know myself. I know my weakness. I know if I get involved in this, this will lead me straight to destruction. And therefore, it's no. It's no. I could do it. It's not against God's word necessarily for me to do it. But I know this. This will take me down. All of us have that. All of us have some of that in us. This is the way of destruction for me. And you say, ah, it's no problem. Okay, for you it's not. But we all have something, all of us. God's word wants us to ex fill our mind with God's word so it will exercise to discern both good and evil. One last passage. Turn with me to James chapter 1 and verse 21. James chapter 1 and verse 21. Again, a passage of scripture uh, that you know very well. We just read it just a moment ago. But notice in 21, Wherefore, put away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I'm not going to stop there. The next verse. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We'll either have a word-filled life and mind or a worried-filled life. There won't be any in-between. There's no in-between for the Christian. He wants us to make sure that we're walking in the power of the Spirit of God, that we will not obey the lusts of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It gives us direction. It gives us light in the face of uh, troublous times. Father, you are the sovereign. You're the one we are to go to. Your word makes it very clear what your will is for us. 
So, Father, help us to seek your face by the word of God, by the power of the spirit of God that dwells in us. Give us, Lord, more concern uh, for the word than we are for the things of this world. Help us to set our affection on things above. We know, Father, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's what Satan wanted. That's the position he wanted. And you've given it unto us. Father, help us to walk through the Spirit, by the Spirit, and in the Spirit. We pray in his name. Amen.